The scripture reading this morning is from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Uh, It can be found at the top of page 7 in your worship guide. So, brothers and sisters, because of God's mercies, I encourage you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice that is holy and pleasing to God. This is your appropriate priestly service. Don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you can figure out what God's will is, what is good and pleasing and mature. The word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Julie. So as I mentioned at the beginning of worship, uh, we're continuing a kind of a conversation that's loosely affiliated with each other. And today we're going to talk about as I, uh, the continuation of the nature of kind of change that goes on uh, around us. Last week we talked a little bit about change in our, particularly in our culture here at St. John's as, as it was well represented, I think, between the celebration of Nancy's retirement and then, of course, the sending forth of Allie and David and Iris and Bryn to that foreign country called Michigan, right? As we sent them off to go and be missionaries there on our behalf. Uh, this week, we're going we're gonna to consider what Jesus means to each one of us in the invitation to be transformed. What Paul's writing about in this invitation of being transformed body and mind. To be something different. And how that applies to us as individuals but also how that applies to us as a church, as a community as well, right? To think about it in that way. Now, I mentioned last week, and then you probably remember that I said that I've become one who's a little bit more inclined to the predictable these days. I kind of laid out a case of why I'm beginning to like a little bit more stability in my own life and in the world around me. You might remember that conversation, right? That I'm becoming one that likes a little bit of that stability because it brings a certain level of comfort in my life, as it probably does you as well. Most all of us like stability. And yet we know we live in a world that is steeped in change. Things are constantly changing around us. Some of these changes are thrust upon us, and there is not a thing we can do about them. Amen? Right? We just have to kind of go with the flow with some of the changes. Other changes we get a chance to kind of be a part of. We may initiate them ourselves. And they're changes for a purpose. They have a goal in mind, an end, an objective in mind. Think about the changes that you've been praying for and that you've been hoping for in your own life. What has been the conversation that you've had with yourself and with God when it comes to some changes for you? We have a variety of different ways in which we're seeking that. Some of us, it might be a job. You know, we're okay with the job we have. We just wish we had a little bit better job. Or maybe a a promotion within the job that we have right now. It it might be that we might want to live in a different part of the country than what we live in at the moment. Or it could simply be that you'd like to make a little bit more money. Have a different set of friends. Did you hear that? (laughs) Or it might be a little bit more high level. You know, it might be that we wish that we lived in different circumstances in our society, particularly when it comes to the politics and all the, the rancor and things like that. We, we kind of wish we'd go back to the Kumbaya area, era when we all kind of got along and lived together a little bit more sensibly than what we do today. We, we pray for a variety of different things to change in our lives and in our world. Some of us might focus on some behaviors, though. 
know, you think about when you come to communion and you get an opportunity to visit one of these two rails and you, you stop and you pray and you pray maybe for some change. Think about Paul's words about having a thorn in the flesh, something that just kind of continues to be your nagging Achilles heel and you come and you pray and you ask God to help you with it for some change. Right? Or maybe you're like me. You keep praying for change when it comes to self-management, particularly when it's driving through traffic here in Kansas City, right? Because I can become unmanaged pretty easily when it comes to traffic here. Especially all you that have J-O on your license plate and you're from Kansas. Uh, you guys aren't that bad at drivers. Not compared to other cities. But compared to me as a Missourian, you're pretty bad. No, just kidding. But... Um, so you think about all the ways in which we find ourselves praying for a certain level of change in our lives. We, we come at it from a variety of different angles because we see it, we think of it, we need it. right? I've told you this before. One of my prayers is, is that I begin to do a little bit different things with my weight. And, and it's basically a, a couple of different levels. Now, of course, the short term, as I've told you, is I've, I got convinced by John Rector and Charlie Perkle to go walk the rim, uh, rim to rim of the Grand Canyon next May. So I'm going to hike down 9,000 feet, go across a few miles, and, and hike back up another 7,000 plus feet. I have no worries about John Rector and Charlie Perkle doing that. Those two guys are fit as a fiddle. Me? I've got a few worries about me. I'm thinking the worst case scenario is either rent a mule or call for a helicopter to get me out of there. Because you've got to think about how physically fit you are and the changes that you have to have. Ever heard of somebody called zipper thin? You know, they're so, they're so thin that when they turn sideways, they almost disappear. They've got to stick their tongue out so you can see them kind of thing. That is not me. <laughs> You've ever noticed that, right? So I have to worry about those kinds of things. I have to think about what I'm going to do physical exercise-wise to lose a few pounds so that I can make it through that journey. But I also think about it from a long-term perspective as well, because I've got a brother that's a year younger than me that has had a few health setbacks in the last few months. He's had a couple of strokes. He's found out that he had a blocked carotid artery and had to have surgery on it. We were at a wedding last night for one of my first cousins, and the struggles that he's having just to be able to walk right now and recover from those kinds of things. And I think how easily that could be me if I don't precipitate some change in my life. The things that we pray about and the things that we are thinking about when it comes to change. A week before last, Margaret and I had an opportunity to go to Wichita. She went and called on a couple of her counts that are down there. And, And I went down for a training that's called Lead for Change. It's held by the Kansas Leadership Center And the Kansas Leadership Center is part of the Kansas Health Foundation that's down in Wichita, Kansas. St. Paul School of Theology, one of my alumni, uh, has a grant through that, and they send some of us pastors that want to sign up for it down there for this five days of training. And so we went down there, and I went through the training. And it's pretty interesting because one of the funniest lines that I heard during that week was, is when you go home, the people that are there, that you serve and that you lead, They are happy at the fact that you have gone away for training for a week, hoping and praying that on your drive home you forget everything you heard. (laughs) Right? Because we 
in some ways are just kind of resistant to some change. We, we know people who have come back from those kinds of events, and man, they picked up on an idea, and boy, they're, they're just going to do it right now, and they want to force everybody else along with them in the implementing of this grand idea of change. And how successful are we at that, right? You do that enough times, and your people are hoping that you have forgotten everything that you heard. It's indicative, though, of the struggle that we have between a concern that we carry and the aspirations that we envision as an organization and as individuals. All of us have those. We have a concern that we carry in our lives, and we have an aspiration. I have a concern about my weight and an aspiration to not be carried out by Charlie and John from the South Ram of the Grand Canyon. Right? We, we have an aspiration that marries with a concern. And the field in between those is the gap. The gap that we have to be able to cover to meet our aspirations. Max Dupree was a, a leader, a guru in leadership and leadership studies and development. He once said that the first responsibility of a leader is to be able to name reality. From there you can cast a vision. To be able to spell out what our current reality is for us individually and us as a church. That's what Paul did in Rome. When he wrote this letter to the Romans, he wanted to spell out a reality for them. What was possible. To be able to name for them how they lived and what could be as well. And so he says to them, so brothers and sisters, I beseech you by the mercies of God, be transformed. Have your minds transformed. Now think about it. One level of this that's interesting is, is that Paul says you're not going to go on this journey all by yourself. I want you to be transformed by the mercies of God. We are transformed by the power of God that's in our lives. And when we understand that that power is present there, we can live into what God has in mind for each and every one of us. And the beauty of it for Paul is, is he had an, an aspirational vision of what they could be. And he writes about that as he continues in chapter 12, he begins to name some things that would come forth in them if they would simply find themselves rooted in that change element of God's grace and presence. He goes on to say that those of you who are prophets would then prophesy. Those of you who have the gift of serving would devote yourself to serving. If you had the gift of teaching, you would find yourself now being a teacher if you're an encourager, you would be one who would now encourage others around you. If you give, you would give without strings. If you were a leader, you'd lead with passion. You'd be the cheerleader for all that were in your organization. Love would come forth and greater abound. You'd hate what is evil and you'd hold on to what is good. He goes on to be able to spell out a vision of what life in the Roman church could look like if they found themselves centered in God's mercies and transformed by it. And think about yourself, where you are today. In your own life, right? What is it that you are aspiring to be through God's mercies? What transformation are you anticipating and hoping for in this journey that you're taking with God? Right? But to understand that it's not just about you, it's also about us. As well, How many of you have ever heard the term of systems, right? Family systems or that each one of us are a system. Have you heard that term before, right? So the way that the, it works or the way the, the sociologist, 
proclaim it is a system is a set of things. It's people, cells, molecules, whatever you want to describe. But it is an interconnection in such a way that it produces a pattern of behavior or a set of values. So you as an individual, you're a system. Every single one of us have our own unique experiences in our lives. We have our own set of values and behaviors and beliefs that have formed and shaped how we see the world today. We are a unique system, every single one of us. But you also live within systems. Your nuclear family is a system. Your extended family is a system. Your network of friends is is a system. The place where you go to work and the environment that you find yourself in each and every day is a system in and of itself and how you interact with one another. Your church is a system. And systems all have their own kind of set of values and ways in which they behave. Some systems easily morph. Some systems not so much. On a micro level of individuality, some of us quickly run into gaps within our lives. Between our concerns and our aspirations, we embrace those and we seek change and we quickly go after those. Others of us, not so fast. We take time to get into those kinds of changes in our lives. Some of us, when we think about following Christ, we may be welcoming that easily and we might be embracing it and jumping right into that relationship. Others of us, we may may not want to go that direction yet. We're simply thinking about what it means to be a good human being, a productive citizen, a better husband or a better wife, a good teammate. Think about the changes that we want to morph into and adopt in our own lives. As a church, though, we think of it from the struggle of what it means for us to proclaim Christ each and every day in our world, not only individually but holistically as representatives of this body of faith. The question is, is how much of that journey will we take individually and together? There's a guy by the name of J.D. Meyer. He is an author of a book called Getting Results in the Agile Age. He was a former program manager at Microsoft, had a great lucrative job, did a wonderful job there, but he always thought there was something different that he should be doing in his life. And so he gave up his job at Microsoft. He became a blogger and an organizer of people. And his whole goal was to help people learn what it means to live more, learn more, laugh more, and love more. To gather people together for an aspirational purpose and to seek to be able to do that, to live into a set of values. And I wonder about us as a church, what we would proclaim as our values and the journey that we would take to be able to live into them, particularly in our relationship with Christ and with one another. To do as the Apostle Paul says, to be transformed in such a way that we would make a difference, a huge difference in the world around us. But here's our reality, church. We've got some things that we're trying to figure out and face. We've got a concern that is in the back of our minds that we need to name today. I think about our reality as this way. How many of us have in the back of our mind, my loved church, is slowly dying. That that's our concern. Right? Because we think about from the from the apparent aspects of it, from the outside when you look at it, there's some indicators that might say that to some of us. That my loved church is kind of slowly dying. Right? We haven't had that many people come and, 
and be new attenders or new members of our church. We have adult children who don't attend here. They go somewhere else, or maybe they just stay home for the most part. They don't give their time, their resources here. We've noted the number of people who have died. We noted the number of people who have moved. We noted the the number of people who have simply lost interest and maybe do other things on Sunday. We haven't had that many professions of faith or baptisms in a while as a church. And so we have all these kinds of indicators that could say, my loved church is slowly dying. And that could be our concern as a community of faith. We could find ourselves rooted just simply there, but yet we also hold an aspiration in mind, right? That 68, 70, 100 years from now, St. John's is still a vibrant community of faith right here on this beautiful little parcel on Ward Parkway. And that people two generations, three generations from now, are coming and worshiping here. I won't be here. If I am, Lord, I'm going to look like a stone statue by then. But, you know, but I won't be here. But we're hoping that others will be, that will be from our own lineage our own faith heritage, right? We've got an aspiration for that, for generations to come, that this be a place where people continue to worship and learn and serve the community that is around us. But there's a gap that's there. We can find ourselves falling too much into the concern. We can find ourselves not addressing the gap that's there. Here's one thing I do know. It is not the job of a technical expert to come in and fix this for us. It's an adaptive challenge for our church. And it's going to take some experimentation from us as a community of faith. It's going to take us casting aside some assumptions and going out and gathering data from voices that aren't even here. It's going to take us living into the mercy of God and embracing the newness that God has in mind for us. It's going to take us embracing some change. So here's your public service announcement. I gave this at the first service, and they all kind of just looked at me. But here's your public service announcement for this morning. Embracing God's newness will disturb our stability. Did you catch that? If we truly want to embrace what God has in mind, the transformation that God has in mind for us as a church, it's going to have to disturb some of our stability. And we're going to have to be okay with that. Even though many of us, like me, we we become a little bit more comfortable with that stability. We kind of like that predictability. We're going to also have to embrace a little bit of change, a little bit of disequilibrium, so that we might experience the newness that God intends for us. So here's what I hope that you hear this morning, and, and maybe think about as your own kind of decision point, what might be required for each one of us. It might be first the decision that you have to make as an individual, and we as a church have to make? Do we want to embrace this journey that God's calling us to go on, to embrace the change and some of the newness that is possible for us? Or do we just simply want to throw up our hands and say no and live with the concern as it is? Will we as a church, will we as individuals embrace some of that new possibility and some of the instability that will come along with it? Will you join me in a moment of prayer? Gracious God and holy God, as much as we like things to just stay the same and the way they are, and and we hope that our church will just stay the same and the way it is, 
every single Sunday, it is something new. Because it's not the same 80 or 90 or 130 of us every single Sunday. We're kind of a new church each and every week. And there's change that goes on. We may want to ignore it. We may want to discount it. We may want to say it's not happening here. But it is. And it's good change. It's change that you're bringing about because it's about the health of of this church and this community of faith as it's transformed into the very image that you have in mind for us. Lord, open our hearts and our minds that we might embrace your vision, what you have in mind for us, for the newness that is yet to come so that our aspiration, our hope, for this church, our beloved community, that it might live two, three, five, ten generations from now. We know that part of it, part of that vision and that aspiration will be predicated on us. And so we beseech you, by your mercies, transform us. And we ask this in Christ.